0: Morning. if you want to open up to Titus 1, we're going to read, starting in verse 1 here, we'll read the whole first chapter. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before time began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching, with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is abroad reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Well, I'm going to just start with an overview. I've got the PowerPoint here, uh, I think, of the whole book of Titus. And I just thought it would be good to pull this up and go over it. Which yeah sure Um, so we talked about for uh, we did this overview when we first started but then we talked about God and the gospel and how that in each of the three chapters is the foundation for what he's going to say how he's going to apply it the first chapter is this chapter we just just read which we're going to cover today about the church how does the gospel that who God is and how we can be right with God. How does that work its way out in our life as a church? And then in the second chapter, he goes over individuals. How does that work Our work its way out in our own individual lives and families? And then in the third chapter, it's in relation to how we interact with the world and different um, either individuals or the government, things like that. And in each of, each of the three chapters, he has he gives us something positive, some positive examples, and then he gives us negative things to avoid hitting that same point. So today, this is just kind of giving you context, we're covering this, this first chapter. way we could summarize the whole book is just two points. Truth and life. So here's the truth, how does that apply to your life? Uh, the way Paul says it in chapter 1, if we just use the, his own words here in chapter one, at the very beginning, he says the knowledge of the truth. So that would be truth, which accords with godliness. So how that changes our, us in our life. So that's the way he says it. Godliness couldn't fit in this little box. So I just put life basically trying to get across that it affects our life. So those two points uh, could be the whole, the whole, Outline, repeated, over and over three times in chapter 1, 2, and 3. So that's what we're going to cover today. How does this affect the church? Well, the church, specifically, is a place for truth. Um, and he talks a lot about that. But also, knowing that the gospel affects our life, how does that work its way out in the church? So we're just going to look at these two things in terms of the church. How does this look in the church? And I've kind of made a two-part outline. I'm, there's a whole list here, and I've just kind of categorized everything he said into these two points, which is how does the gospel, God in the gospel, affect the church? And he gives us things that, that we should pursue and things we should avoid, both in terms of truth, holding fast to truth, or and as well as in our life, um, a place where it's not only truth, but it applies to our life. It changes us individually. So how does that work its way out in the church? So we're going to start just, I'm going to go through the order that Paul went through. This is uh, just what we're going to go through, but I'm going to start with just one of the two. So let's just start with life. Um, How does this work its way out in terms of life? Well, the first thing is that we want to notice about this chapter is he's giving commands about elders. So one way that the Paul... What he's trying to say here about the church is that the church has elders uh He actually calls elders a couple different names here, elders, and he says overseer in chapter or in verse seven chapter one, so we can see that this is one of the places you can go to see that overseer and elder is the same thing because he's going back and forth, switching it between the two terms. We would also group pastors with that even though that doesn't come up in this particular chapter but we would say all of those are the same thing elders pastors overseers are all different names for the same role in the church and so he's talking here about the church and he's giving commands to titus what do we do now that he's kind of established in one to four the gospel god in the gospel well, what should titus do in light of that in terms of the church and he says appoint overseers appoint elders and he gives the criteria, what, is, what should that look like in the church? Well, the first thing that he talks about is that the church should have elders that have two things. One, they hold fast to the truth, and two, there's godliness in their life, which really is a summary of the verse we already covered last week and the week before that, and verses one to four. Knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. That could be really be a summary of this whole section we read. And you could split everything he says into those two categories. Knowledge of the truth and then godliness. How does it affect their life? And so he starts with life in here when he's talking about elders. And so that's where we'll start. So I just want you to see that I put uh, the whole thing in terms of here's things that, that should look like positive, And here's things that it shouldn't look like, should not, should be avoided. And so I just made this list, and then I put it all together. So what I'm going to do is just take one step back and do an overview, and then we're going to hit each one of these little things just briefly as we go through. But the first thing I want to notice is the way what he's emphasizing here, that we should have elders that teach true doctrine and their life should be... um, living that out, they shouldn't be hypocrites, They should, their life should be changed based on that, is based on this idea of what the gospel is and does in our life. The reason he's saying this is we want to not only say the truth here as a church, that's one of the primary purposes of the church is to share truth. And the second thing is we don't want to deny truth with our actions, right? And so as we proclaim the gospel, if we're not living it out, we're proclaiming two contrary, contrary things. We're saying with our mouth, this is true, and then we're saying with our life, but it's not really. And Paul is saying that can't happen. That's not what the church is for. Like The message of the gospel is not just information. It's not just a teacher teaching something. Although it is that, it's more than that. It's something that changes our heart and our life. And so we can't simply see the church as a school, right? A school is different than a church. And a teacher could teach you something, and they don't apply it to their life. I got a kind of a funny story about that from when I was teaching in fifth grade. You know, I did fifth grade special ed for quite a long time. And one of the big things in special ed um, was trying to get this complicated thing of fractions and make it simple because multiplying and dividing fractions is pretty difficult. So it's like we talked a lot about it, we thought a lot about it, and we broke it down like, okay, what is division in general? Okay, well, what is a fraction? How does that work? And so it's kind of interesting because I asked the other, uh, other fifth-grade teachers, there's eight of them, if anyone could give me a word problem for dividing a fraction, which basically is saying, can you give me a time in real life when you divide a fraction? And none of them could do it, <laughs> all eight. <laughs> Which is kind of amazing. They Some of them gave um, word problems, but they're actually multiplying fractions. They didn't realize that, basically conceptually, what it means to divide a fraction. That is not to say that they're not good teachers, because they taught them exactly what they needed to do. Procedurally, right? They didn't understand it conceptually, necessarily, like, enough to make a word problem. They didn't do it in their own life, necessarily. But, they could teach how to do it and that's okay really in fifth grade that's fine um it would be better i think if if you got both but that's okay you're just kind of exposing them to basic concepts and they go over it again and again as they you know go into high school and on and on but the church isn't like that right we can't say well they got the information right but you know they're not living out that's okay well, that's contradicting the whole message. And so Paul's saying that we can't have that in the church. That it's not just information that we need to take in and then move on with our lives. If we never apply it, that's okay, as long as we can repeat it. That's not, that's not the case here. That it's not just knowing it and repeating it. It's we want it buried into our lives and transforming us by the Spirit of God. And so if that's the case, that the gospel is truth that changes our life, we don't want to deny that in how we act here. And so that's why an elder doesn't just have one criteria, which is just they've got to teach well. There's two. Um, two big ones, their life, and then doctrine, both. The other thing I want you to notice is it's pretty amazing what's not included here. And it kind of comes back to this idea of what the gospel is and the main message of the Bible. There's a lot of things not included in this section where he's giving instructions to the church and same for 1st and 2nd Timothy although 1st and 2nd Timothy has quite a bit more in it. It really goes against in some ways our culture like we live in a pretty instantaneous culture and uh, I read one summary that was said basically our culture likes we want things instantaneous and casual. That's what we'd like. We don't want to go deep, and we don't want it to be slow. And that's kind of what our culture is. And I think this quote was actually before, like, YouTube and, and TikTok and those things. So it's like we went from books, which take hours and hours to read, to the evening news, which takes 30 minutes, to YouTube, which takes three minutes, to TikToks, so which takes 30 seconds. And so we're just shrinking, 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 shrinking. We like things instantaneous and shallow. Church is not set up that way. The main way that God is getting across what he has to say in the Bible is week in and week out, talking about his word over and over and over throughout a lifetime. And it's not enough just to come and listen, but it has to change our life. And it's not enough just to come and be here in the same room. We actually have to know each other's life. And that's what this passage is saying, is it's not enough for me just to be able to stand up here and talk to you If you don't know me at all, um, that the reason I can be up here is because you know me and my life actually corresponds to what I say. And if it didn't, I shouldn't be up here. Um, And so, and the same for all the elders and deacons. And that's really different than our culture, isn't it? It's our culture. You can see over a lot of areas, whether that's politicians or news people or whatever, it's It's okay if they just present it well and we don't need to know about their life. And we could just overlook that. The church isn't like that. And the other thing I want you to notice is if these two, both these pieces are essential, it makes sense why God made the local church the way he wants the message of the gospel to go out. Because he could have done it different ways. We could have said, Paul could have said, Titus, when you go to Crete, I want you to write one really good book and then pass it out to all the all the towns. Well, what piece would that miss in terms of these things that the gospel is communicating? Well, the life, right? You can read a book and not know a person and not see wow, this really changed their life. You could say um, something. Have one big really event once a year, you know, and everybody come together on Crete and teach them the message of the gospel. Well, what pe- what? Pieces missing there. The life they still don't. They still wouldn't know. Is this real? You know, um, is this not just information? But is this changing their life? You could say the opposite. You could say, well, why isn't it just enough to get together? Why do we have to have a sermon? Why can't we just talk about what's going on in our life? Well, that would we would get one of the pieces, right? We might know what's going on in everybody's life but that wouldn't get across the truth of the gospel, that there has to be preaching. There has to be, this is what the Bible says. This is where we're going. This is why we're wanting to do this. And so God has set up the primary way that his truth goes forth, that his people are matured, that his gospel has a place in each city where there's a church. And that means not only that we know the truth, but that we're applying it to each other's lives and we're holding one another accountable in that. Every single one of us. And so, let's move on to the specifics. Um, So, I'm just going to go over what he says. This is just in terms of, this is particularly for pastors, is who he's talking to. But he's saying that their life has to be different. And here's the positives, and here's the negatives. So we're just going to go over those one at a time. I'm going to start at the top left. Uh, I tried to kind of group these where it makes sense and see if some of them go together. And we're just going to start here and go down we'll go back and forth like this. So, start with above reproach. So, the first thing he says is verse 6, if anyone is above reproach. That really could be kind of a heading for all of them. The other word that kind of gets that across is holy. But these are kind of words that cover almost all of these characteristics. That a person that's above reproach would be Means someone can't come to them in any area and be like, "This is wrong right here," and uh, and it stick. It's like, "Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm a hypocrite here," or or something like that. So above reproach could cover any of these. A reproach is coming and just saying, "Look, this is wrong. This isn't right. This shouldn't be this way." So that's the first thing, um, and kind of covers all of them. The second is the husband of one wife. So should be an elder should be a man. Uh, they should be literally in the Greek. This is one woman man is what it says. So it's kind of getting across faithfulness, right? Um, not only do you have a wife, but you're faithful to that wife. that um, could be even applied to someone who's single. If you say it, one woman man, it means you're not, even though you're not married yet, you would still fall under the criteria of being a one-woman man. Does that make sense? You're not um, promiscuous and things like that, even if you are single. So that's the first thing. The second, which is obviously about his home life, the second is having faithful children. I put faithful children here because there's actually some translation things here. ESV says, children who are believers, New King James says, faithful children. What does the NAS say? Children who believe. believe. Well, the same translation issue, because you could translate it either way, comes up later on when it talks about slaves. It says in the New King James says, showing all good fidelity, which means basically being faithful in your work. And so it, it could be translated either way. The way we take it here is having faithful children. Otherwise, what would happen is children who are believers means when you have a new kid, you step down until they become a Christian, Um, which uh, would only work that I know of in churches where they baptize babies because it's like, well, now they're a little Christian, Um, which we obviously don't do that here. But we would take it faithful children, not that every child has to be a believer, but they have to be faithful. One of the reasons is the second half of the verse is kind of Contrasting it as opposed to having children that, do, that uh, are open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So you can see how those are contrasting when they faithful children. So there's some semblance of discipline and um, the children are disciplined. They're not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So out of control. So this is the home life of the, the elder. I think that's all I'm going to say on that. There's lots of good articles. If you want to read more on the details on that, we could spend a whole message just going over why is this, why do we translate this believers versus faithful, but I think that's good enough for now. Upright, not arrogant. So upright, uh, this word holy that comes up later, upright and holy could both be just translated holy, Um, but the word upright could have a little bit different nuance. It could mean righteous or just, Um, as opposed to unreasonable or not trustworthy. So arrogant would be somebody who maybe is stubborn, self-willed. Timothy actually adds another qualification to elder, open to reason. So upright could mean just. So, So let's say somebody comes to an elder and says, look, I really don't think this is right here or there. What's the response? Is it uh, a just response? Uh, Is it a right response? Or is there a sense where it's stubborn, self-willed, unreasonable? Um, One has to be there and the other one can't be, right? And so that's what he's saying here. An elder should be upright and not arrogant. You know, we're talking about how all these relate to the gospel. I mean, if we're all saved by grace and we're all sinners saved by christ we we all have room to grow right we should all be open to being corrected every single one of us and saying i'm really going to think about that i'm going to pray about that i'm going to ask the other elders about that and um, i'm going to ask my wife about that you know all these things we can be wrong and we need to be open to that we want to be also just just in general not just when it comes to us but we don't want to show favoritism uh Or anything like that, and upright kind of gets that across. Um, Upright also gets across the idea, not trustworthy when no one's looking, right? Can you trust them when nobody's around? And so, those are things that we should pursue. Obviously, one of the ways you could think about this is all these are characteristics of what Jesus was like. Um, We though he wasn't a husband, he he was pure and faithful. And so that's, that's something. The other thing is, um, of course, he was holy, he was above reproach, he was upright, hospitable. Um, Let's talk about these next two together, hospitable and lover of good. Because I was thinking about these verses and thinking about, wow, it's really strange that the word love isn't in here. Because in my mind, it's like love is such a big thing, and Paul makes it such a big thing in these other pastoral epistles, where he says, the aim of our charge, this is 1 Timothy, the aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart. That's for all of us, but specifically too to elders. And I was thinking, well, why isn't love in here? And later on, love comes up in this chapter 2, when we talk about every characteristics of every Christian, love comes up, and I was like, why didn't he put love in here? And actually... What I realized is he put love in here twice. But you just can't see it in some of the English translations. And these two words both start with the word love. And they're actually compound words. And that's why you can't see it in some of the English translations. But hospitable is just one word smashed, two words smashed into one, which is love stranger. That's what hospitable is. It's very clear uh, when I was looking at this in the Greek. Love stranger. That's what hospitable is. That's why I put it as opposed to violent. Because... Obviously, violent is something that it puts as a negative. You should an elder should not be violent. Uh, I think towards anyone, but f- their family, but definitely to strangers. Violence is definitely an opposite of love. There, um, so love stranger, love people, love not just the people close to you, but love outsiders. And then the second one is one word again, and it starts with the word love, and it's smashed with. Good. So, lover of good. And this is a really interesting one. I think it would be good to give maybe a whole message on this idea sometime. A lover of good. Because it covers a lot of things. Um, It covers God, loving God. Uh, It covers uh, treating others. So many different ways we can treat others. There's a verse in the Proverbs that says, devise good. Um, Devise good. Plan and think about things that are good and do them. Um, that's kind of an amazing idea. That specific verse in Proverbs is contrasting those who plan evil versus those who devise good. It says, those who devise good meet steadfast love. So I think it's Proverbs 14.22. I'm just going to read it so I can get word perfect. Okay, yes, 14.22. 14.22. Do not they who go astray? Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. I like that verse, and I like this idea of lover of good, because we get this kind of a negative idea from some of this. I mean, here's all these characteristics: what it should be like and should not be like. And one that really balances this out is lover of good. It shouldn't be that that we're only against things. You know, it's like, I'm really against, um, well, let's just look at these. I'm really against unfaithfulness in marriage. I'm really against children disobeying, you know. I'm really against um, uh, injustice and arrogance, you know. I'm against inhospitality. You know, you, you get this negative idea. The reality, though, is this ver- this word here, lover of good, is saying, no, they should be four things. They should be for good things. They should be for uh, a lot of good things, loving good things, um, and I, this happened to me when I was at teaching at the JJC. I realized that there was so many times where I was saying to them, "You shouldn't read that book. That's a terrible book. Like I wouldn't let my daughter read that book. Um, you should read a you should read something else." And I was just saying stuff like that over and over and over, and they were listening to music that was bad, and they were reading books that were bad, and and I was reali- I realized this isn't doing any good for them. Um, they just didn't. They just bristled under it, and they didn't, um, they didn't receive it. And I realized the reason was I was just against everything. I wasn't saying, like, hey, here's this great book. Why don't you check this one out? I was just always saying their books were bad, and uh, it didn't stick. And I think I may have actually read this verse and thought about it, but I, got a, uh, I prayed about it. I actually ask God to help me with finding a book that the kids would like, and praise the Lord, he did. But I, so I started giving out this other book. Hey, this book is really good. You should really ch- check this book out. Um, and it was a nonfiction book. It had some gospel in it, which was great, But and it was totally different. They received it. It was like, wow, I do really do like this book, and so what actually helped them more to stop reading these pretty terrible books was better books, having better books available and pointing them like, hey, you like this? Well, you should really try this, um, and this is even better, and being able to point them to why, and then they could experience it. Wow, this is better. And so that's what we want elders to be like. We just don't want to be negative all the time. We want to be positive. You know, We want to be saying like, yeah, we don't believe in this, but we do believe in this, and this is good, and let's pursue this, and let's love people, and um, this is the way it can look. So I think it would be good to give a whole message sometime maybe on that idea of lover of good. Uh, I, I put it as opposed to greedy for gain, which is you're supposed to not be. I, uh, in my mind, it kind of made sense that you're supposed to love good things. And this idea is of maybe an overlove of money, right? It's like, I love money a lot um, and too much, and so I'm greedy. So that obviously can't be the case for elders. Self-controlled, disciplined, uh, both of these could actually be flipped in their translation. They're so similar, they could have translated disciplined, self-controlled, or vice versa. I put that as opposed to a drunkard because it says, you know, specifically, they can't be a drunkard, um, That's an example of not being disciplined or self-controlled. And there's a lot more that we could say on that. Um, Self-controlled obviously covers many areas. But this is just one. Uh, Quick-tempered, I put that down here, uh, as opposed to self-controlled again, which comes up twice, basically translated two different ways. Uh, Quick-tempered would be not control of your emotions. So, it may be that these two, he was thinking of two different types of self-control, maybe inward and outward, or it may be that he just wanted to emphasize self-control is really important, so he basically put it in there twice. I'm not sure for sure which one is the case, but either way, we could say self-control is very important. It's one of the fruit of the the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Self-control. Um. Now, why is this the case? Okay, so back to kind of the big picture. Why did he put all this in here about the life of the church? And we started out by kind of saying, well, we don't want to deny things in how we act. We don't want to say the truth and then deny it with our actions. Another reason uh, he specifically brings up in Timothy that he doesn't say here is he says to Timothy, First Timothy 4, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, and faith, and purity. Well, that's a pretty good summary of a lot of this here. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. We could kind of uh, categorize basically all these here in, in that. But one of the reasons he said is set an example. So that's another reason that elders have these qualifications is there's supposed to be an example. It's supposed to be some, someone that um, can be an example to the flock. Um, you don't want to say, like Jesus said about the Pharisees, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Uh, you don't want that to be the case. The other thing that he comes up in that same passage about why these qualifications, he says to Timothy, keep a close, close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. You see, that's actually gets both of our points. You see, he brought them both up, yourself, your conduct, who you are, and your teaching. So there's the two points that we're talking about, life and doctrine, or truth and life. But he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Saying both are essential. Um, One for Timothy, for himself. An elder doesn't want to be a hypocrite just for yourself. Like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't think any of us want to be a hypocrite and meet God and say, yeah, you said good things, but you didn't do any of that. Um, And you didn't (coughs) repent, basically, is what, what it would come down to. Um, you talked about your repentance, but didn't do the repentance, um, didn't actually turn from your sin. The other is, he says for the hearers. This is really interesting, because I was thinking about it, if I wrote this verse, I wouldn't put that at the end of it. Uh, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a pretty radical statement in First Timothy 4. But I think part of it is, people actually listen when they know that you mean it, right? when it's real, when it's not just um, you're just saying it just to get something like maybe Greedy for gain or something like that. If you know that, they really believe it. There's a quote from back when uh, Whitfield was preaching. I think it was Benjamin Franklin was the one that would go and and he, people knew that he didn't believe in God. And they would ask him, well, why are you always going to see Whitfield? And he said, they said, I know you don't believe it. And he said, well, but he does. I know that he does. And so it caused him to really think. Uh, I really want to think about this. I mean, this guy is saying these things, and he really believes it. Not only is he living it out, but um, there's some reality there, and I want to think about it, and I want to listen. Um, and so it's important. So this is the first half, and this is the f- thing that actually Paul covers first in the qualifications of elders. kind of interesting if you think about it. What would we say, or what do we believe um, in terms of qualifications of elders? Would we put it in reverse? Would we say first doctrine, and then, then we can think about life? Well, Paul puts it in reverse. He's saying, look, look at their life. That's where you start. And then from there, you can see the second piece, which is uh, truth, doctrine. So this should go a little bit faster. But let's, let's cover this the same way we'll go back and forth. So I've just taken the verses and kind of put them in the positive and the negative here so it may make it a little easier. So this is the second half, life and truth. Okay, hold firm to the trustworthy word that word is taught. So, this is actually really, really important. I mean, uh, this verse you might not think would come up that much or or be controversial. But, in 1 Timothy, Paul says that the church should be a, pil- a pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar and buttress of the truth. That's what the church should be. One of the things we should be is holding on to the truth. One way this comes up, and this has come up for me repeatedly, is holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught, and then be able to rebuke those who contradict, contradict sound doctrine, contradict it. It's important because there's places where they hold everything, right? It's like, well, I hold to the trustworthy word, and if somebody comes in who believes something different, well, we, everybody can be here. Um, and so you're, you've got the gospel in the church because you allow anything, but on the other hand, you never contradict anything. Does that make sense? That you can have places where people come in and say, here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that uh, you can, you're saved by faith, not by works, that uh, you need to be born again, that's you're actually trusting him, you're changed from the inside out by the Spirit of God, and that really changes your life. And people say, great, yeah, you're welcome here. And then the next person will come up and say, hey, I believe that um, you know, I'm saved by faith and my works. I, you know, I come on Sundays, but I don't really... Um, Take it that seriously, and they say, Great, you're welcome here. You see the difference? That the first person might think, Great, this is a place for the for the gospel. This place believes the truth. And they don't realize that they no matter what you say, they're going to welcome you and accept you uh, as a member there. And so this is this is important, right? It's not just uh one, it's both. This is the truth, and this is not the truth, and so we reject it. And so this is. This is really important. Um, another, I had a conversation with a guy who was in ministry one time, and I asked him, what's the gospel? And he said, well, I, can't tell, I can't tell you the gospel. Um, and it's just too big and too broad. And I said, well, you couldn't tell me the gospel in like two minutes? No, I can't. It's too, there's too much to it. Well, could you tell me what the gospel isn't? Like if I tell you this is the gospel? Sure, yeah, I could tell you that. And I said, you're saved by faith and works. And he's like, yep, that's the gospel. He said and I said he said as long as God's in there it's the gospel and so you see it's a it's an example of just taking everything it's not holding fast the trustworthy word and rejecting what's what's wrong it's just oh well just everything anything that's got about God we're just going to receive it um, and we don't want the church to be that there's a lot of reasons for it and we can go into that but I'm kind of going kind of long, so I don't want to go into it but it's really important, um, that they might be sound in the faith. Well, what's going to happen if we do that? What's going to happen if we just, we don't hold fast to the trustworthy word. We just hold fast. We just bring in everything. We're not going to be sound in the faith, right? We're not, people aren't even going to know what the faith is. Um, that if somebody says something, you know, that's, that's against scripture and we correct them and we all need this, right? We need, we all need correction. We all need to be refined, uh, If you've got kids, I'm sure you've got funny stories where your kids are talking about God and they say something that's just totally off. And it's like, no, that's not right. Um, and you, you have to correct them. Um, you don't just say, good, I'm glad you're talking about God. You know, We had a thing this week, I think, somebody said, God is my bed. And I said, is God your bed? <laughs> no, 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 God's not my bed. <laughs> um, and you just have to correct it, you know, things that aren't right. And that the church has to be the same place, the same kind of a place where you, something comes out, it's like, do you really mean that? Or are uh, you just talking and it came out weird? Um, and either way, it needs to be dealt with. And one thing you might take comfort in is, you know, some, we have people share. Like, we have an open mic, basically. What's one of the jobs of the elders? Well, it's to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Like, we're not going to just let anybody say anything. Um, and every once in a while, something does have to be said. Praise God, it's very rarely. But um, we take it seriously, right? We're, we take these things seriously. That they might be sound in the faith, as opposed to people being insubordinate. He's talking specifically about the circumcision party here. Insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Bad doctrine leads to a bad life. That the gospel, if the gospel leads to changed life, a false gospel leads to a bad life. Um, if you believe a false gospel and the Spirit of God actually isn't transforming you and changing you, you're not going to be different. And so it's really important for us, every single one of us, to know the gospel and be changed by it and be saved by Christ, really. Um, this is really, really important and really really sad to see I mean you can there's a very clear connection here he's saying there's a connection between bad doctrine and an unholy life yes. and um in this particular case it was people saying basically follow the mosaic law here like you, you you can be a christian but you have to be circumcised you have to follow these these other dietary laws and that's really what it means to be holy and to be pure and he's saying, don't, don't tolerate that in the church. Don't accept those people just because they're saying Jesus plus the law. Say, no, that's not right. It's just Jesus. Like, you don't have to fall. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow dietary restrictions. You're saved by faith in Jesus. And what he's also saying is that that led to unholiness in their life. They really believed, if I follow these laws, I'm pure. Like, if I don't eat, the, eat these things, then I'm pure. And I'm holy. And he's saying, no. Holiness is internal. Um, holiness is given by God through Jesus. And then it's worked its way out in your character. It's not just because you don't eat these things that you're made holy. And so that's really important. Um, and apparently, you know, it was working its way out in their life. It's like they felt real good. Hey, I, I followed all these dietary rules, and yet I can be deceitful and then still be holy because I'm following the rules. Uh, that's not right. And so Paul's saying reject that. And so finally, last thing, give instruction in sound doctrine. And he's saying not what the, this is for not just the church, not just the elders, but the whole church. That they should not devote themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So he's saying, you can come to church and you can devote yourself to things that are related to the Bible and they're profitless. They're not important. You're not seeing the important things. Um, Commands of people who turn away from the truth, I mean, we don't want that here, right if if I'm saying something like um, I, I think this is how we should apply this verse and I give something very specific and it's, and it's not true uh, that I'm forcing maybe how I like to do it onto you, you should tell me like I, I don't think that's right, you know uh, let's think of a, an example that's kind of not that I'm not super important um, when you read your Bible. If I was real sh- up here saying, like, you've got to read your Bible in the morning, you know, or something like that, and that's the best time to do it. Or I like writing my Bible. We had a conversation uh, about that on at prayer meeting. I really like writing my Bible. I wish everybody would write in their Bible, but that's only because it helps me so much. I don't really know if it helps you. It might distract you. Um, and if I made that a command, you would you should talk to me. Oh, that's not right. I mean, the Bible doesn't say you have to write in your Bible. The Bible doesn't say you have to do it in the morning. Um it's okay if people want to do it differently. Um, we don't want to be teaching commands of men. We want to be teaching what the word actually says. So, let's let's just summarize all of this here. And I think I'll just turn this off and finish up. Okay. The church is supposed to be a place for truth. Both, doctrinally, we're supposed to teach what is good and avoid teaching what's wrong. We're supposed to affirm, this is what the God, what the Bible says, this is what the gospel is, this is who God is. And when something's not the gospel, when something's not right, we contradict it. We say, no, that's not right. Both. The same with life. We want to be a place where not only do we know the scripture, know the truth, but it accords with godliness. It changes our life. We apply it to our life. It's not just... Us talking about good things and then not doing them. Like we talked about last week. Um, you know, we don't, we're don't. we not just a club where we come and talk and then we don't do anything. Um, there's a verse in 2 Timothy where he talks about people who are always learning and never arrive at the knowledge of the truth. It's like there's places where you can just learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and you never get any further. You're just always learning. You never apply it. You never changed. And we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be learning always, but never change, never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. It's really important to say that the Bible has very clear things to say, and we're holding on to those. There's actually quite an attack on that in the culture. Whenever I talk to kids on campus, college kids mainly, is where I hear this, it's like, well, who knows what the Bible is really saying? Can you really know that the Bible is teaching that? It's just, who knows, you know? And there's a lot of different reasons. And they're basically saying, you can read the Bible all you want, but you'll never know what it's actually trying to communicate. The reality is that's not true. right? The Bible is very clear. An example is Jesus who says to the Pharisees, have you not read? And then he quotes a verse. So that actually teaches us something. Um, It teaches us that the Bible has a clear message. And if you read it, you're accountable to it. (laughs) That's pretty interesting uh, because they're saying that's not true. Um, there's people that are saying you can read the Bible all you want it's just too confusing you'll never know what it's trying to say Um, and Jesus is saying well if you've read it you're accountable to some basic things that it's teaching over and over and over he says that you could do a study on those passages have you not read Um, and he takes a verse and he says look what the verse says it's contradicting what you're saying so what you're saying can't be right he says it about marriage he says it about the nature of the afterlife things like that so the Bible's clear. The Bible has a clear message. And we're responsible to teach it and to know it. And we're responsible to obey it when we read it. And so that's what the, place, that's what the church should be. The church should be a place where we know the truth and it affects our life. Both. We don't want to hold on to one and not the other. We don't want to be loose-handed with one and, and loose-handed with the other. Or anything like that. We want to hold on to both. We're saying, truth applied to our life. Here, that's what the church should be. Um, I'll just give you a couple of verses just basically Titus is kind of a summary of 1st and 2nd Timothy condensed down and there's some good verses in 1st and 2nd Timothy preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove rebuke and mm-hmm. exhort with complete patience and teaching teach, it, teach the word, make sure people are actually applying it, if they aren't repute, reprove, rebuke exhort, so Rebuke would be, you're you're doing the wrong thing. Exhort would be now do the right thing. Go this direction. Teach. And then encourage people, you've got to be applying this. Um, now, the last verse, two verses in, in chapter one, they're a very specific context because they sound like they could be applied to basically any anything. It says in Titus chapter one, fifteen and sixteen. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So, the reason I bring this up is, different guys in the jail have quoted this verse to me, and basically used it to say, like, I can do drugs if I want. Look at this verse. It says, To the pure, all things are pure. Um, And that's not what this verse is saying. This verse isn't saying you can do whatever you want. This verse is saying, that, in this context of the circumcision party who are eating you know the saying i 've got to eat this and i if I do these laws then i 'm clean he 's saying that 's not true you 're made clean by your faith uh to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, so it doesn 't matter if you eat if you follow all these dietary laws and and all this stuff, if you 're not trusting christ if you 're unbelieving that doesn't purify you and that 's what he 's saying here um, so I just wanted to make sure that 's clear. Well, we can pray about these things. We can I mean, keep one another accountable. Um, you can keep us accountable. Uh, we're trying to all keep one another accountable. Kind of in light of this, you know, just we could just announce you know, talk about how a while ago we had promised we're going to have um, uh, basically working on a policy where, if uh, you know, if an elder isn't qualified, that you can bring that up, and we're still working on that, and we're hopefully going to present that, you know, like, look, if this isn't, if something's not right, we want you to be able as a church to keep us accountable. And so here's how that could look. And here's how we could empower you to do that as, as a church. And so we want to do these things. We want to live these things, but we also want to empower the church to be able to stand up if it's not right. And so I just thought it might be good to just say that. Well, let's pray and we can, Lord, we just look to you. We're asking for help. We do not want to teach anything that's wrong. I pray you'd help us. We also don't want to teach the right thing and then not live it out. So please protect us. For, we don't want to be hypocrites. Um, help us to be good dads and husbands and Christians just in general. Um, we look to you. We're asking for help. pray you'd protect this church and every person in it. We want to honor you with our thoughts and our lives. We're asking for for you to be here, and be helping, be changing us. Amen.